Spire. Welcome back to Started Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs and creatives to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. This is um, another NFT show. I, if you notice, I'm really diving into the NFT space. I really find it fascinating. I love following along to see what various artists and creators and developers are doing. And today, I had the privilege of talking to Owen Shen. Owen created the Zero X Mons project. He's created PseudoSwap, which is a it's an escrow, essentially an escrow for trading NFTs that's uh, free. It's There's no fees, there's anything. But when you have an NFT, a little a digital piece of artwork, and you want to trade it with someone, if, you, if you're trusting someone, you could very easily send it to them and they can run off with it. There's, there's, there aren't those checks and balances. And that's sort of what Owen's building. He's building the projects that need to exist in this ecosystem. And it's so early, early on that he's really filling some needs without even taking profit from them, which is really fascinating. Really, like, I really respect what he's doing. This is a technical conversation. Um, if you're not as technical, not as versed in the space, um, this might be one. I don't want you to skip it because it is so fascinating. But just just know going in, like we're talking about more of the technical side of NFTs and development. But anyway, without further ado, uh, this is a, a great one that I hope you definitely listen all the way through. My conversation with Owen from Zero X Mons. You are an impressive guy. <laughs> like, oh, thanks. Going through everything you've done and are doing and continue to pursue, it just it just blows my mind. It's so amazing and impressive. And just the little bit that we interacted like about PseudoSwap over Twitter DMs, you're right there, so helpful, ready to go. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat. Okay. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm always excited to talk more and I'm glad that the stuff that I've done has been useful. Oh yeah, very much so. So just to like start at the beginning, um, who is Owen? Like, what makes you tick? Because you have so many projects. Like, maybe I'll just run down the projects real quick, just for anyone listening. Um, it, you have Mind Level Up, which is like your blog, and you're really deep dive into um, self-help type stuff. You have Zero X Mons. There was Zero X Coffee, Final Doom, NFT Lottery, Pseudoswap, Doom NFTs, um, maybe a Zero X Mons Series 3, Bundler Multisender, Zero X Mon Token, non-fungible jazz zk nft and there's probably things i don't even know about <laughs> so who who is owen there's so much to so much land to cover here <laughs> yeah i think that i am probably described as a serial builder so mm-hmm. I, I like building things um that's that's a lot of what makes uh makes like doing the work exciting for me it's just seeing like oh now i you know i've made this new product and it can do this thing well so that's that's sort of like maybe the simple thing that that keeps me going yeah and um as as a serial builder are you building sort of for you are you building because as sort of from a business perspective usually i talk to like entrepreneurs on here and sort of my my goal is to sort of showcase the story so i want to dive into who you are and rewind a bit but sort of the snapshot of where you are today um, what are the types of things you're building and why do you, how do you choose to pursue them? Yeah, yeah. So I am really into the Ethereum development space right now, as I'm sure it's like probably when we first started interacting. Mm-hmm. So I'm building out a lot of tools um, that I think like take NFTs into newer directions um, or like provide um, services that I think are, are like useful that, you know, no one's building out yet, um, specifically when it comes to NFTs. Yeah. Yeah, and that is such it's such an early space and there's so much need. It's like PseudoSwap alone is such a necessary service. And um can you just before we dive into your story, can you just describe PseudoSwap specifically and what it does and why it's so valuable? Yeah, yeah. So PseudoSwap is really exciting because it allows you to trade assets with a trade partner. So people have used, you know, AirSwap before, you can, you know, trade two ERC20 tokens on AirSwap, right? You can like send a link to a friend and then the trade happens. But AirSwap doesn't support NFTs and you can only trade one thing at a time. 
So Pseudoswap basically handles both of those things for you. You can trade NFTs and you can trade multiples of them. So you can pick, you know, like three NFTs and some ERC-20s and then trade it for like two of your friends' other NFTs and some other ERC-20s. So now you can do like really complex trades. Um, it's still all happening um, in like a gas optimized way where, you know, you just send this link to your friend. So you only pay for the approves and the swap. Um, and there's no trade fee. So like the entire thing happens in like escrowless, gas optimized, and like a free manner. Yeah, yeah. And it's really cool to have that like essentially escrow service, but completely decent. There's no person there. There's no like you're not there holding this. People don't have to trust that you're holding it. It's, they just trust the software to do it, which is brilliant. And, and do you make any money from that specific product? No. So Pseudoswap as it is today is just free utility for the community. There's a little tip button at the bottom where, you know, if you find it useful, you can send like a small amount of ETH over and sometimes people do uh, leave like a small tip, but um, you know, it's, it's mainly intended to just be like a powerful utility, at least for now. Yeah. Yeah. You seem like such a giving person in that regard. Cause you could easily just monetize it, add a little fee to every transaction, be making something, but it's so, it's so useful to the community to have something like this. It's, it's just awesome. So how do you make, make money then? Because this is what you do. I mean, I'm assuming this is what you do full time because you are so prolific in everything that you're creating. Um, so how do you make money? Yeah. So currently there's a few ways. So, you know, sometimes there are like tips that trickle in through, you know, Pseudoswap or other projects where um, they're like, is a fee, for example, built into the multi-sender um, that's like a very nominal amount in Ethereum. So there's like small pieces where like funds come in. Um, the other main area is for projects that I do that integrate with other protocols. Um, like I was building out, for example, um, like an NFT minting platform for ZK Sync. I was able to get like a grant for them to work on that. Um, the other main area is a lot of the NFT projects that I do sort of tie back into this Xmon token, which is an ERC-20. And then I have like a developer share that gets like streamed um, into my account. Yeah. And I want to dive into the tokens and everything. And my audience isn't necessarily an NFT first or crypto audience. So I'm going to a few things like ERC-20. When, when you say that, that's essentially the the money, the token, the um, the Ethereum, the Bitcoin, that would be sort of the ERC-20. Not Bitcoin isn't ERC-20, but that's that's the money. So that's the fungible stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So when people usually talk about tokens, you know, they usually mean like the ERC-20 standard. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I want to dive into all those things, uh, Xmon, Xmon token, everything. Um, but first, I want to rewind just a little bit. And where, like, what is your origin story? I like to dive in and see how you got here. Because I see for a while you were really into self-help and really diving deep. You had... Um, what was it? How people die or something that went like really your data went really viral on Reddit. Um, but even a bit further back, who is Owen like a few years ago, like a handful of years ago? Yeah. Yeah. So I, for, for like Ethereum and the space in particular, I found out about it in 2017 um, because my college roommate actually was really into development and he, he got me into the space and, um, really thankful for him to introducing that to me, but I, I like dabbled with it a bit, and then I spent a lot of time thinking about machine learning, which I just thought was you know, sort of technically really interesting. So when I was in college, I did a lot of you know work doing small projects in that end, or like doing small research projects, and that was what I, I spent a lot of time thinking about. I thought you know oh maybe after graduation I'd want to do like a machine learning focused kind of a deal, um, and then this is like. Ethereum and NFT stuff really like sort of blindsided me in that I was doing like a few small projects and then they they like really escalated over the course of a few months. Um, and that sort of landed me where I am right now. Yeah. And when you were um, when you were in school, what was your uh, degree at that time? Oh, yeah, I was studying computer science. OK, yeah. So so yeah, machine learning and everything was it was side by side with it. But yeah, you've sort of found your focus and then uh, moved over to yeah Ethereum and blockchain and were you writing a lot at the time? Like all of the mind level up stuff? Was that when you were in school? Was that uh, more recently? A lot of the stuff was was during like the first few years of college. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find that, was that sort of your exploratory phase of figuring out sort of who you are, what you wanted to do? Or like what made you pursue 
um, writing because you wrote you've written some very in-depth pieces like on that platform on your blog and everything. Yeah, I was also really interested in psychology for a while. So a lot of the work on you know cognitive biases and habits. So there there was a time when I was like really interested in thinking about um, like good ways to sort of have examples or models for you know how how to be productive and stuff like that. Yeah, and do you still find sort of a draw to the self help space, or has it sort of uh, gone in the rear view? Yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely faded now. Where uh, I think I. I, I have less of a focus about it now where, you know, for my schedule, it's just like, oh, well, you know, if I can get some things done today, that's good. And I trying not to, you know, put as much uh, like pressure on myself to be like, oh, I need to have a very nicely laid out schedule that does all the things. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, cause it's sort of, it feels like something that you, it's the growth that you get from that exploration, from, from the writing about it too, I'm sure um, that, then you apply just intrinsically later to your life. Um, how big of a role does writing play in your life from then until now? Like just actual like writing, writing, not necessarily code. Yeah, I think that for a long time, it was really important. And I think recently in particular, I've slacked off on that. And I, I like wish I, I did more of it uh, because I think that it's, it's really helpful even if I just have, you know, um, like a not well-formed idea, the writing part can help, you know, put a better shape to it. Um, so, uh, a lot of the, the stuff maybe that you see on the blog is sort of a form of that. And I, I wish I was doing more of that still, but like very recently it's like sort of dropped off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have so much going on <laughs> in terms of code and in the Ethereum space. Um, so why don't we just dive in then the very first project you did in the Ethereum space or the, the one that I know is zero x mons has did you start with something before that and work up to it or how did you find yourself with that and then maybe dive into sort of what zero x mons are yeah yeah so the the zero x mons nft stuff is sort of like the first real thing that i did there was a previous iteration so if so many people see that there's another collection called legacy zero x mons so there was like one iteration that i did before i like did it for real for reals um but, but yeah, it's sort of like the main thing that I like started, keep working on and uh, like somewhat uh, like the thing that people will recognize maybe most often. Yeah. So then, so what are Zero X Mons? Yeah. Yeah. So the Zero X Mons project um, has this like flagship NFT. So digital collectible series of these uh, digital monster NFTs. So the idea is that they're sort of inspired by a mix of like Lovecraft. So there's this like eldritch mysteriousness going on, but also Pokemon because, you know, they're kind of monster-like and you can collect them. Um, and the, the creation process is, is the part that I like to talk about because it's sort of like a mix of AI and human creativity. So, you know, each one of these monster collectibles has this image. It's kind of this like out of focus, vague blob shape um, that's animated and it's got like a name and a description. So like the, the blobby stuff is trained off pixel art and that's how you get like these you know, somewhat visible shapes. And then the name and stuff comes from like Lovecraftian lore. So you have like really well-structured texts where the names might be something like Morgach and then there's you know, maybe <laughs> apostrophes and some like slash letters. Um, and then there's like some lore that talks about how maybe it's like slumbering beneath the deep waiting for you know, the right time to emerge or something. Yeah, it's really fun. And all of that is essentially a machine learning type um, approach or generative approach, correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then human edited afterwards. Yeah, which I think that's like the perfect balance for some, especially something like this, because I'm sure you had a lot of um, interesting <laughs> things that got generated where from the human eye, you're just like, this isn't quite there. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, what's like the hit rate on something like that? So a lot of them are lightly edited. So there, there's only a few places where maybe I'm changing grammar. I'm like, oh, there, there's, a, there's like a inconsistency in the pronouns used. Um, so a lot of those, like the sentences are sort of copied verbatim, but sometimes they're short. So I might think, oh, well, I might have to add like another sentence here just to better flesh out the story. Um, so like when it's good, it's really good. I mean, there's also sentences in like the generated text that weren't good. So I had to take those out. But like a lot of the sentences that you see were like, things that were piecemeal, like originally, you know, in full from the generated text, which is really cool. Yeah, that's really exciting. For something like that, where did you even start? Because you have the idea, 
the concept, you hadn't really built something in this space before, like something really substantial, maybe little projects here and there. Um, it's it's a major project that you, you've undertaken and very unique because it's also completely on-chain, or at least it can be completely on-chain and things. So where did you even begin? I guess the, the easy answer is I tried a few times and then, you know, I like, I had this legacy version first that had a few different features, like the lore wasn't a part of it yet. The name came from a weaker model um, and like the, the image stuff wasn't as fine tuned. Um, so I like, I saw what went well with that and things didn't go well for the relaunch. Um, for the, the on-chain stuff in particular, you know, which is, is really cool. I think there's a lot more like consciousness about it now these days where projects are launching and like the issue of provenance um, but, you know, like maybe in early January, this wasn't as clear for that. It was just like sort of diving into old blog posts um, and looking into, you know, what other people have written. And a lot of the stuff was rather sparse. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and you mean like blog posts specifically about the development and how to like the how to side of things? There were some things, there were like some, you know, like stack overflow questions about, oh, how do I do file storage on Ethereum? Or like, what are the different methods for that? You know, what's cheap? So it was just, you know, like sort of piecing this together, like, oh, okay. Like, it seems like, you know, the, the costs look like this for this amount of data, you know, how can I get my data to work? What did other projects do that, you know, tried to emulate this kind of a deal? Yeah, so when you launched the project initially, how did you uh, connect with like your audience, your collectors? Because now you have like you have a really tight knit group. There's only um, what is it? How many Xerox uh, mods are there now? Yeah, there's 341 of them. Okay, yeah, and the group is really tight knit, and like it seems very uh, people who are more uh, savvy in terms of Ethereum and blockchain and tokenization and liquidity pool, all these things that you do that are really fascinating. How did you first connect with everyone? Because like a brand new project, especially we're talking only seven months ago or whatever, right? You said January, um, <laughs> which in, in like the scope of normal things, <laughs> that's, that's not that long. But in the scope of NFTs, that is practically day one. <laughs> this stuff is moving so fast. So how did you first connect and find your audience? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think there was a lot of good marketing that I did. Some people, you know, they'd like stuck around when I was helping out with other projects and done the legacy stuff. So there may be a group of, you know, like 10 or 12 people who, who I like moved over to the new project with and, you know, they're around. But for everyone else, I think it was kind of a slow trickle. You know, sometimes um, people would just pop into the Telegram room and say like, oh, hey, I like discovered this project. I think it's mm -hmm. really cool. Um, I think there was, there was some stuff in the beginning where I tried doing like more shit posts on Twitter and, and like posting, you know, obscure GIFs of just the monsters and telling people to come. But I think that wasn't very successful. Um, I think, honestly, it's just been like a slow kind of a grueling, you know, every so often, you know, a new person joins and they like the community and they like what they're doing. So we add like one permanent member to the group kind of a deal. Yeah, definitely. And is this your uh, first like entrepreneurial venture where you're completely like on your own? Yeah, this is the, the first time that I'm doing something that's uh, like, you know, sort of business focused and it's like a, it's got a lot of moving components um, and like some of them produce revenue. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like a first for me managing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's impressive that this, I mean, because you do, you're juggling so many things. Um, it's very impressive what you, what you've done and what you've accomplished so far. And just for like context, when you launched the Xerox Mons, what were they, what were you selling them for? And now sort of what's the floor or the average um, sale? Yeah, yeah. So let's see, let's see. So when we originally launched them, there was a series of four special editions that sort of kicked off the whole thing. And those went on auction OpenSea. And I think those ended up going for something like one, like half to one ETH each. Nice. Um, so that was it. And then, you know, like the first series uh, like was completely distributed. And then there was a good amount of attention from secondary market so then they were selling for maybe like four or five ETH and then when we did series two we had the auction again for four special editions and I think that was when we we were like sort of really really peak that was like sort of peak NFT mania in like early spring and I think those went for something like you know 10 ETH each wow. which was really really cool um, and at that and time then, Ethereum was like four grand wasn't it yeah yeah, wow. yeah. so that was that was probably sort of the, 
the, the like really like peak mania. And then I think nowadays um, they're going for something like three or four ETH on the on the secondary market, which is nice because you know with series two like supply expanded you know sort of by we went from like 128 to 300 or so. So like naturally we expected prices to sort of go down. Um, but I think like now with the floors coming back up, um, yeah, they're holding really strong. NFTs again, yeah, for sure, and they're holding really strong. And I think like you said, because of the on chain. And just for clarity for anyone listening who isn't super familiar, on-chain essentially means that the the artwork and everything that you created lives on the blockchain. It's not just a link. It's not a contract linking to a file or anything. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. how much more involved is that to do something like that? Not to get too like nitty-gritty technical, but just out yeah. of curiosity. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of different ways you can approach it now, which is exciting. Um, the... The actual engineering work probably took like uh, a week to, to get right and be like, oh, okay, is it pulling the right thing? Is it reading the right data? So it, it was like a little involved. I was really excited when I got the whole thing to work. Um, for an end user, like the most uh, costly thing is that you know you're you're paying for a lot of storage on Ethereum, which isn't designed for storage. So you might have to pay you know like you know a few dozen dollars or maybe even like a few hundred in the worst case if you're uh, choosing like one of the more expensive. Um, encoding options. Yeah, and then is that a one-time storage fee? It is, um, but there are there are some caveats in that, uh, like the Ethereum network is currently considering some upgrades, which might change how like storage is viewed. Um, so in the future, you know, there might be some other things that people have to do, where you know you might have to like back up some sort of seed or something, where you can like present it to the network later to show that like previous information was something. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So yeah, there, there's like still some questions about how, you know, state bloat and the Ethereum network is dealt with, but for now, it's it's what it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and when you're developing something like this, then um, when you're like writing the contracts and doing the thing, the actual coding, what level would you say it is in terms of like a developer, like someone who like do you have to be pretty advanced to to understand say solidity and all of these things, or with a sort of uh, cursory or at least core knowledge of programming logic, could someone step in and start uh, dipping their toes in the water? Yeah, so I think Solidity and smart contract programming is idiosyncratic compared to maybe, you know, if you're programming in C++ or Python, because there are a lot more like sort of particulars of like, oh, well, you know, I can I have this like notion of an account that's always available. You know, I can you know read it and do certain things with it. So I I'd never recommend that people start with Solidity <laughs> if they're learning to to do development. You know, something like Python or C There are excellent you know intro courses on like Coursera and edX that sort of walk you through that. Um, but I think you know if you're if you're already comfortable programming, um, you know, at some sort of intermediate stage, you can probably dive in. Um, I think the the reason why like maybe there's a lot of uh, like an advanced connotation with it is that, you know, logic-wise, you can have things that work well um, in like the happy case, but sort of thinking about all the edge cases and making sure that you know you're not exposing vulnerabilities can be a lot more difficult. You know, even seasoned teams might write code that like inadvertently um, has some exploit in it. Yeah, that's and that's what's interesting about this space too. Is I mean, you're even looking at like an NFT, which is essentially an art piece. If you're writing your own contract, you could have a security hole still correct? Like even with something like sort of as simple as that? For most collectibles, I'm not too worried because there are a lot of great templates that have been well tested. And usually you can just, you know, say like, oh, well, you know, I'll defer all my logic to this template. And then I'll just customize like the name and a few of the images here. So for most of those, even for people who are like sort of rolling their own, so to speak, you're usually um, like making sure that the crucial stuff is handled for you by like well tested um, libraries. Yeah. So what are some libraries that you recommend for someone who might be starting out? Yeah, yeah. So the, the thing that you know almost everyone uses are the Open Zeppelin libraries. Mm-hmm. So Open Zeppelin is this company that offers uh, like security audits, some monitoring tools, and they also have like incredibly widely used open source libraries for a lot of um, functionality. So if you're doing like an NFT collectible, they have an NFT library that you know you can essentially uh, you can like inherit from. So you can just you know fill in your names and uh, like some of the maybe image information and all the transfer and ownership logic is all handled for you by their stuff. Nice. Yeah. And what are the benefits then say of rolling your own, like using that template or 
um, a lot of just artists go straight to open sea and they they're on the open sea contract. What are sort of the pros and cons of those? Yeah, so open sea in particular, I think, gets a lot of uh, admittedly like deserved criticism and that their code for artists isn't open source. So oh, you know, okay. it's like really common. You know, it's it's essentially like standard in this case where if you're writing smart contracts, you also provide source so people can verify that you know the code that they're running is you know what you say it is. Um, OpenSea, I think, has like promised to do this and still hasn't for many months, which is you know frustrating in that you know you're like not quite sure what's going on, but also because if the source isn't available, you can't easily have it work with other protocols um, like. NFTX, for example, great protocol that allows you to fractionalize NFTs, can't work with OpenSea NFTs because uh, like the protocol doesn't know what uh, like what's going on under the hood. Yeah. Um, so this is why I think like OpenSea in particular has gotten a lot of flack um, because uh, like not only um, not only are they putting all the artists under one contract, which isn't great, you know, if you want you know, like better separation and you just want to collect something from one artist, you're like, oh, well, you know, something, everything's called like open C shared storefront. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but also too, like, it's really difficult for interoperability. And then, you know, there are potential like security concerns if, you know, people can't verify what's being run. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, I didn't realize that they hadn't open sourced it. I didn't, cause I haven't like dove into that specifically, but yeah, that is definitely a concern in a space like this where the underlying like machinations are so important to knowing the things are, are right. But there are better mentors out there. You know, there are better like sort of one click wizards, you know, I think both Rarible and Cargo have, you know, like open source their code, like made it clear that, you know, you can deploy either a collection or, you know, this one off. Um, and they also handle um, like the IPFS storage for you. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you put in your, image and the name they'll you know put it onto this distributed network and they'll also like save a link back for you and everything so um i i would like generally recommend variable as like a better choice if you're deciding where to mint you know rather than open c yeah what are your thoughts on ipfs versus arweave yeah uh, i think like the the default criticism of ipfs is pretty fair which is ipfs is a good way for like content discovery but the network itself has no way of like incentivizing that files will always stay on there. So I think this is a lot of the impetus behind like Filecoin and other you know services that build on top where you not have to sort of pay someone. And now there's also you know excellent services like Pinata that essentially promise to keep pinning your files around for a fee. Um, it's become sort of de facto in the NFT world. I think it's unfortunate because it like sort of downplays some of the inherent weaknesses in the network, even though the protocol is really cool. Uh, you know, are we sort of built an incentivization layer on top? It's unfortunately like harder to work with. It's not a standard. Um, so I've I've used both in, in different projects. Um, I'm like leaning towards using more Arweave now when I can. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that I think that you know more NFT people should probably check Arweave out, um, or at least have like better comparison articles about like pros and cons. Because I think like you know discussion here is still ongoing, and there's definitely more that people can add um, when they talk about this. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, little tangent there. So I want to uh, just there's so many things I can ask you because you're so knowledgeable and so uh, so given with all the all of your knowledge that like I'm I'm just really excited to talk about all this stuff. But I want to talk more about your project before I get too far down any other rabbit holes. <laughs> um, so you, with ZeroXMons, you have the ZeroXMon token, the XMon token, and the XXMon token. Is that correct? Like, are yeah. there three different <laughs> ones? <laughs> um, so yeah, that is, oh, so you do have the three. Like, how do they differ? And what does that actually, like, what does that mean in terms of the broader ecosystem? Yeah, yeah, I'll, okay. <laughs> so, so back in November, when I was doing the version one of Zero X Mons, um, there was a mechanic set up where people could buy them directly for, for like a uh, hundred die or something. And this is before it was, you know, like popular to, to sell NFTs directly. Um, although like shout out to Steve Klavanoff, who people don't know is he's the person who used to work at Zero X project now does a lot of really cool NFT stuff, like 
He collaborated with, uh, I think, Ezra Miller on Solvency. He does like the Rats art swap. He does a lot of stuff. He's, he's super cool. Nice. Um, and he, like back in December, he was telling me, he was like, you know, if you just sold these directly, you know, I might consider buying one. Um, but you have this weird ecosystem set up. Um, but like, so I was just coming off of DeFi summer and I was like, okay, I need to have a token. I need to have like a, like a normal token that somehow ties into these NFTs. Um, and I was really excited by what Meme had just done, where if people aren't familiar, like Meme is this token that it's got like a pineapple logo and their whole deal is, you know, you can stake tokens for points and then you can redeem them for different NFTs. So they have like different artists cycle in and out with different collections and sort of a race to like see who can acquire the most tokens and then stake them for points and then move on to the next one. Um, and that was sort of my thinking there. I was like, oh, well, this, this method is kind of cool. I don't know how many of these NFTs I'm going to make. You know, if I make a lot of them, maybe it's uh, sort of sustainable. So that's sort of how the Xmon token came to be where, you know, it's like, okay, well, everyone who participated in the legacy one, you know, I'll just give you free Xmon tokens. And then we'll start up the staker where you like, you stake your tokens, you're in points, and then we'll, and at the time I didn't know how many releases I would do. So this is just for like the first release. Um, then that took off. And so people were staking the Xmon token for zero Xmon's NFTs. <laughs> um, but then I, I was like thinking more, you know, a lot of this is sort of on the fly. And I was like, okay, well, I, I don't like want value to accrue to the token because in like an ostensible way, because that's like, you know, more uh, like regulatorily, uh, like mm. uncertain. Um, I, I like the NFTs. People like the NFTs. You know, I feel like you know the, the idea is sort of to sell like the NFTs is being scarce, and then you know maybe the token can be used in various ways. Um, so that's sort of how the narrative came, where I was like, like you know, like don't buy the token if you want it to appreciate the token's like literally just used, you know, as like a means to get points for the NFTs. Like the, the ostensible like value accrual should be going to these NFTs. Um, but at the same time, I was also building out other NFT tools, and I was like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of hard to like tie fees from the tools directly into like the the zero Xmon's NFT, but like the Xmon token is, you know, a really natural fit. So that's sort of where we also had like the LP farming setup where, you know, okay, people might want to acquire more tokens. They might want more liquidity, you know, we can create a mechanism for that. Um, and, you know, once we started doing this, things like the multi-sender, like the on-chain encoding, we're taking fees either in ETH or Xmon. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were like, okay, well, what do I do with my Xmon tokens? Um, I'm like not a fan of single staking in that you know you're like not providing that much addition um, to the network if we were just like move some of the LP rewards to single stakers, but as sort of a stopgap, I thought like the X sushi example is pretty cool in that like we are earning protocol fees, like the Xmon that we earn for via fees is like non-inflationary. There should be a mechanism to sort of give that back to people who want to take part. Um, so I just like stole the X from X sushi, like so you're staking it. That's like X Xmon. Um, and that that's that's what XXMon is. So it's not really a, another token that you trade. It's just you can like lock up your XMon tokens, and then like every two weeks when I reset the rewards, I also like move some ETH into doing like manual buybacks, or like I take some of the encoding fee XMon and then I send that back into the pool. So and those like slowly... are those going out then as XXMon? Is that sorry? I'm like really fascinated by this. It's like a little beyond my like like depth in terms of like liquidity pools and all the different things. So sorry if it's like a dumb question, but no, 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 no. Um, so zero Xmon, then the X Xmon is sort of the reward system now. Is that sort of um, how it goes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so X Xmon is the reward system. And the idea is that like one X Xmon is like slowly going to be worth like 1.01, 1.02 Xmon tokens. So the idea is like, you know, as you enter and like more rewards come in, then when you exit, you'll exit with like more Xmon than you originally put in. Interesting. So what's the benefit... So that's the benefit to the person for staking the coins, essentially giving you, or tokens, giving you 100 X, or let's just say 10 Xmon token, tokens, and they would get sort of an interest of sorts, like almost like a bank. Yeah, yeah. So what's, yeah, yeah. what's the benefit of putting the Xmon token in um, for you or for the system at large? Yeah, so the, the way that I think Sushi does this well is... Um, I think only staked sushi can be used to vote. So usually in some sense, it's like a sign that, you know, you're more committed to the project. You're like not just having it around your wallet or you're not like waiting to sell them. So there's like ostensible reason often is like to do some sort of like lockup. Um, there might be other protocols that do something more fancy and time-based. Um, it's still a work in progress for me. Um, I had it because I was like, okay, well, I have these fees. It'd be nice to distribute them back to the community. Like the X sushi model is a good one to start with. It also has X in the name. Um, 
honestly, that's sort of where I'm at right now. There's not a lot of voting that's been happening so far, um, in part because I, uh, I like have a few more things that I want to get done before I like start opening it up, um, like the project a bit more. But uh, yeah, it's sort of like the non-answer I can give right now. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. And like essentially you're staking and staking is what Ethereum is moving to with Ethereum 2 to change from proof of work to proof of stake. And that's a similar, a similar concept, right? Like you're going to trust a node, you're going to trust someone to verify transactions because they're invested into the ecosystem, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in that case, I think staking is, is like much clearer where, you know, you have you know, something that gets lost if you're behaving um, incorrectly. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're taking on this risk, you know, the protocol can afford you some rewards. Um, for for what's happening right now in Xmon, you know, there's like no sort of decision makers that are doing anything with Xmon on the line. So it's really just like a cute way to like distribute fees back to the community as of right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's neat. Um, so, <laughs> so many other things. Um, so ZK Sync, you're very like into that. First, first, I just want to ask what your um, what your opinion is on NFTs just at large because like they've blown up, like people are money is changing hands at a rate that I can't even grasp right now. People are getting in, buying up some of the OG like crypto punts and this and that, but brand new projects are selling out in a day, ten thousand mints, and all this money is changing hands. Like, how do you feel about the ecosystem and where it's at and where it might be going? I am personally as a creator sort of disappointed that this is where all the funds are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's it's unfortunate that um, like, you know, if I'm speaking from like a tech optimist perspective, like this is where all the funds are going instead of like cool experimental protocols. But I, I like sort of have to admit that I think this is where I think a lot of recent mainstream attention has been. Um, and even now you're seeing people like, uh, um, who, who's the person I think like, Phase Banks, who yeah, I don't know, runs right? like an esports team or something, um, right? Uh-huh. Like Mike Tyson, people changing their profile pictures. So, you know, out of all of the ways that like ETH and everything goes mainstream, it turns out it's through profile pictures. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I can really like fault them for that. I mean, as a creator who like didn't do one of these projects, it's often like, you know, frustrating for sure to think, oh, well, turns out I could have like gone this route and, uh, and have like raised more funds. Because um, that's like the frustrating part. But, you know, like tech-wise, I think that a lot of this stuff is really, really nascent. And, you know, I'm excited by the stuff that I'm doing to sort of build more um, like foundational protocols. I'm excited by, you know, some of the newer work that we're seeing um, in like, you know, Rarible is doing a V2 that's going to be like offering better ways to let people exchange, which is sort of Mm -hmm. similar to what Pseudoswap has going on. Um, You know, like Sushi is launching their own NFC exchange soon, which also has royalties. There's like Scene House. So there's a lot of work that I think is going to be providing better ways to transfer, respect artist royalties. Um, That's really cool in the short term. And, uh, you know, I think everyone gets really excited when they talk about NFTs, but it's uh, it's really like, you know, it's it's kind of just like a a token with like limited supply, right? Like if, if you just had like, one different ERC20 token for each NFT ID, it's kind of the same deal. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, in some ways, I think like the tech itself isn't all too different from what we're used to, but it really helps people think about it in a different way. For sure. And that's so important to really bridge that gap to bring people in. But like you said, like you're, you're in like in the weeds doing the stuff that needs to be built like day one, like this is early stages, like all these um, utilities and things that don't exist. So you're there and it, it would be nice to see sort of that getting more attention than like cats, little cat illustrations. I'm sure like it just, it has to feel a little, a little different, but I love that you're, you're all in on like supporting this community, like the NFT community as well. So, um, talk a little bit about ZK sync and what you're doing with ZK NFT. Yeah, this is super cool. I'm really excited about it. Hopefully the team finally okays everything so I can share it all in a few days. Um, but uh, like the MVP is running. So it's all like, nice. Um, so people who don't know, ZK Sync, um, I'm not part of the team. I'm just a huge fan. Got a grant from them to work on this project. Um, ZK Sync is a ZK rollup. So it's an Ethereum layer two. Um, and this means that it can offload some of the computation onto their own network and then just post like data onto Ethereum's all what. So for, and what's some of the benefits of doing something like that? Just very briefly. Yeah, yeah. So the this means that you can essentially get like 
more throughput for the same gas cost. Um, and you like you have a now slightly different set of security assumptions. Um, although like arguably for a ZK rollup, um, you're like you're trusting less than you know in other scaling solutions, uh, which is why I'm a fan. But yeah, you can now essentially like mint transfer swap NFTs for something like 25 cents instead of $25, yeah. which is super cool. Uh, you know, they have like some really nice optimized code. So you can do all of your transfers on their network. And then if you really wanted to, you can like move them back onto Ethereum's L1 um, anytime you want. Yeah, which that's amazing. Like that's no one, you can't really do that in any reasonable manner currently, can you with other uh, layer twos? I don't know about Immutable, which is built by Starkware. So Immutable is another ZK rollup that's designed for NFTs. I think Matic has something where NFTs can go back and forth, but I don't know. I think that involves, for example, like locking up the NFT on L1 and then it mints something on L2. I haven't looked into that. Um, but but yeah, I think like ZK Sync is, is really cool and that like stuff that you mint on L2 can be moved back to L1. You can't go the other way, um, but you can pick like minting contract of your choice. So, you know, even if everything on ZK Sync is sort of homogenous, you know, you can pick like something more custom when you come back if you ever want to. Yeah, interesting. So then, yeah, so you have your platform. So would your platform be um, almost an open C for ZK Sync? Yeah, yeah. So my platform is going to be an open source proof of concepts. So all the code is like MIT licensed. People can fork it, do whatever they want. Um, shout out to Alex from ZK Sync, who I think is like really excited about these sort of permissive licenses and um, was like actually quite adamant that I was originally I was going to license it under like Coffee Left. He was like, oh no, like we're, we're not a fan of Coffee Left. Can you like please choose something like Unlicensed or MIT that's much more like free? Um, so that's that's what the code is. <laughs> nice. um, the the idea is you can you know mint NFTs on there, view them, you can transfer them, um, you can do the transferring in zk Sync's own wallet app too. But the the site that I designed also like loads the data from IPFS and everything, so you have like the image and all that. And you can do swaps, which is really cool. So you know you can swap like your NFT with your friend's NFT on zk Sync, and you can even make offers in any token. So at launch, oh, wow. you're going to be able to make offers in ETH. So like the L2 ETH that you know like you send on to zk Sync via the bridge. So you can do like sales and transfers directly on their layer two, which is a lot cheaper. Yeah. Do you do you see this as a competition then for open? Do you see sort of as these as competition, or will it just be another platform? So how do you look at it? Yeah, so I think OpenSea is currently on Matic and might also be on, I think they're adding Tezos soon. Oh, really? Um, okay. I think that we're not going to see that many. So you can't do everything you can on Ethereum right now on ZK Sync. The most important feature that's missing is you can't handle royalties or transaction fees. Oh, okay. So the ZK NFT network or like the platform is actually like feeless. The only thing that you pay for are like the ZK network swaps. So again, like public utility. Uh -huh. um, and because of that, I think that like, you know, certain marketplaces are going to be hesitant to move on there if they don't have like the guarantee of like, you know, their revenue stream and their artists revenue stream. Um, so I definitely think it's going to be like much more designed for like hackers. People want to experiment at first. Um, but I like did want to, you know, build something that was at least like a starting ground for, you know, people want to try minting in a low cost environment and sort of like part of the rationale for building out the ZK NFT site. Yeah. And it's exciting to be on Ethereum still because like you can go to um, Hicket Nunk and use Tezos and it, it's cheap, but it is, it's still separate. Like it's its own thing. So that is really exciting. Do you see uh, being a part of that project moving forward or since it's open source, is it sort of now the communities? Yeah, I think, I think there's other things that I want to work on. So I'll definitely be, you know, like there's a few things on my to-do list that I have to, you know, finally finish to make it a smoother experience. But, you know, it's my hope that people can fork it and, you know, turn it into different or better things now that it's, you know, open source to like once it finally launches. Yeah, so how long have you been working on something like that? Does that I and mean, that sounds like a major project. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> a lot. Um, and uh, I think it was probably around end of May or early June when I was chatting with the ZK Sync team and they were like, hey, you know, NFTs are coming. And um, I was really excited when I read that blog post. So I reached out to them. They're like, hey, we want to build out this like MVP. You think you can do it? I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And that was how it started. Yeah. And I mean, that's still, that is quite a turnaround. What does your day look like, an average day? Because it seems like you are going, going, going. 
but it's such a high level. Like what does, what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, I don't have a good schedule. Honestly, it's, <laughs> I, I wake up and then, you know, there's maybe like two or three things that I'm juggling and I just sort of think, okay, like which one haven't I done yet over the past few days? Like which one is most urgent? Maybe I sit down and do that for a few hours and then I like go through and attend to things on Twitter or discord and then I get food and then maybe I do some more of it in the afternoon. Um, and then maybe again later at night. So I just have like these, you know, like few hour work schedules and then there's a lot of uh, like haziness in between <laughs> them all. Yeah. And do you do any like um, contract work or do you take on outside gigs? Or is it really just the projects that you want to do that you come up with and things like the ZK um, grant? Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely focusing on on projects that, that I have lined up already. So not in a position to take on more work um, I was really a big fan of like the ZK sync stuff. And, you know, I think that if there are protocols that I'm a fan of and we can work something out, um, be good to chat. But for the short term, I think my hands are already quite full. Oh yeah. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, there is just so much. Um, I just wanted to ask because I saw mention of it, but I don't know what it is and I couldn't find it. What is Zero X Coffee? Oh yeah. Zero X Coffee is the handle of, of someone else. Um, oh, okay. I think they go by like zero X coffee underscore BOI, like coffee boy now. Okay. Um, but they're really cool. They do a lot of, um, or I don't know if they do a lot of, but I think like one of the things they do are like these 3D renders. And, you know, they, they were like an early uh, supporter of zero X bonds. And a while back, they did these like really cool, you know, 3D card renders. Um, and we talked about doing like a drop to all the zero X bonds holders. Um, so if you hold like a series one zero X bond, you know, you can also claim this like, rotating 3D card NFT, you know, from their proto card series. Nice. Yeah. And I actually just bought into the scene drop just the other day, the physical card with the augmented reality, which seems really cool. Like I like bridging that gap between the two worlds. Like that what... was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat. What inspired you to do that? Cause I don't know of anything else offhand. Maybe you do that the NFT is corresponding with the physical product and the physical product is sort of more the product than the NFT. Yeah, so I think Scene is, is really great at doing this. You know, I, I think they had like a previous card drop, but it was for a different project. And I think, you know, they also had like a few of the one-offs um, where you could purchase, um, like, I think that there's this artist called Frank, you could purchase the digital canvas and they would also ship you the physical one. Um, but yeah, we I had like a few mutual friends with the Scene people. One of the ideas that we'd been floating around was doing digital merch. I think at one point they were just saying like, oh, you like, would you be interested in doing a Scene drop? I was like, yes, please. You know, I've seen the cards. They look really cool. Um, and I think this also started maybe in like June-ish. We were bouncing around ideas. Um, and I have uh, like nothing but good words to say about the scene team who were happy to handle the distribution part. Um, you know, they like workshop a lot of the ideas with me. They're like, oh, does this look good? And I was like, oh, can we change the font a bit? You know, that sort of back and forth before we got like the final card design. So scene house team is awesome. You know, if you're doing anything that has a physical component, definitely reach out to them. Yeah, it's really interesting. I like it. I'm excited when it shows up to like really check it out. And yeah, very interesting. Um, who are some other people that you feel like are ones to watch? Because like, I'm just, I'm following you on your journey because what you're doing, I think is really special. And it's, um, it's exciting to see where you're going and what you're coming up with and what you're putting together. Is there anyone who you're following? you'd recommend oh there's there's a lot of people um <laughs> I, I also don't want to you know accidentally leave people out I will oh say yeah that, you know everyone <laughs> i follow on twitter i think there's like a few hundred of them i think they're all great um if you're interested in uh like people who are you know doing deep dives into like evm or mev stuff uh, i made this list called zero x waifus which has a bunch of people with like anime profile pictures okay. are really insightful. And I don't um, know, what is EVM and uh, MEV? Is that what you said? Oh, EVM is just like Ethereum virtual machine. So we oh, will like gotcha. dive into the nitty gritty or dive into like, you know, maximal extractable value or minor extractable value. Oh, interesting. Um, so that's, you know, if you're really interested in learning more about like some of the ETH technicals. Uh, for NFT stuff, you know, I really like Deaf Beef, um, who does like the generative audio visual stuff um, with the C compiler. I uh, recently had some super awesome auctions for a series five. That's super cool. I really like Pillhead who's doing uh, like this, you know, alt 
mythological universe where they like recast Vitalik as this like snake god. You know, they've got some <laughs> awesome 3D modelers and artists for their their stuff. Um, like Forgotten Wizards is really cool. I helped them with some of the on-chain coding stuff. And oh, nice. I think that was like a big part of like sparking the recent discussion. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Steve Klavanoff is awesome. Um, apologies to everyone else who's like not <laughs> on top of the head, but you know, definitely there's lots of cool people and everyone that I follow, I think is, is really exciting. Yeah, for sure. And do you see NFTs as a way to this? I'm, this is sort of how I feel. I'm curious as a creator, as a developer, if you feel the same way, it feels like NFTs are a way to invest in a person, like to like in a zero X mon feels like an investment in you and your path, even if it's not tied to everything you do. Like sort of how did, do you feel any similar vibe with that? I don't see that. I, yeah, I don't think I see that. I think that maybe like, I know people talk about like social or creator tokens and I think those oh, might yeah. serve the role a little bit better. Um, I think it's interesting to consider what like, you know, NFTs as social tokens might be, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think that maybe in some ways it's interesting where if you're like talking about traditional art, you might say, oh, you know, I have yeah. this early Picasso or something where, you know, if Picasso then does, goes on to do great things. It's sort of like they have their mark on it. Um, so I can see that. I don't think we've seen that happen though. Um, where I've seen, you know, artists do art block drops and people might say, oh, they also have this auction going on on Super Rare, but sort of like the one-offs or like the, the like low supply, like early or other things don't seem to command as much of a premium. It seems like brands um, still dominate more where like, oh, people are willing to pay more because it's art blocks or yeah. something like that. Um, I think that there are ways in which it can be more like that, where I think for like, you know, Ford Ape Yacht Club, they did the dog drop to holders was like a good way to sort of maintain the idea of like, oh, you know, like this is more of a, a claim on, you know, whatever creativity the team has going on. Um, or, you know, like Mebits drop for like punks and autoglyphs holders. And you did the soundscapes too, sort of similarly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, yeah, it was something that, uh, that also follows the same, you know, uh, like distribution method. So I think things like that could be cool or like consistently including like the same group of NFT holders and future projects that you do. Um, I think maybe for zero X months is a bit more like that because we have the like actual group chat where holders can go into and that's where I can more freely talk about stuff that's going on. Um, so, so I can definitely see like a case made for that, but I think like for many creators, it's, it's like not, uh, it's like not necessarily like the default where, you know, mm -hmm. holding an early or one of the NFTs is like a social token kind of a connection. Yeah, at least not now, maybe one day, maybe there'll be something else that, that comes along. Is there anything that you think um, that you see that other creators maybe are getting wrong or could do better? Not, not to name any names or anything, but just sort of ecosystem at large. <laughs> yeah. I think that probably the one that, you know, a lot of uh, like more technically minded art people, you know, sort of raise their pitchforks are on is, um, you know, like lack of good on-chain provenance where sometimes, you know, might, people might just have like an IPFS hash. And, you know, I've seen situations where like randomization isn't great and people are like, oh, well, like I, I could have just looked up the token ID ahead of time because your server was exposing it or something. Uh, um, so I think that like, you know, bad RNG and bad on-chain provenance are definitely like reasons to get my like inner technical side <laughs> angry about. <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, I, I've seen projects that claim that they're gonna be doing um, like, you know, man manual buybacks at some price. So they'll be like randomly distributing prizes. And, you know, I'm like upset because I don't think that uh, they like provide any good guarantee of that happening. And yeah. those are both uh, things that I'm like working on. So yeah, with the lottery, the lottery. Yeah. I was just going to bring yeah, that up. Yeah, it's, it's hopefully like a trustless way to, to like make the distributions easier. Um, and then there's like great projects like NFTX that are, are like by the floor that have a mechanism for you to like set a floor price, but like it's, um, you know, it's not that common for projects to necessarily build that in. Um, even if they claim that they're like, oh, we'll buy everything on OpenSea, you know, let's like below this price point, but you have like no guarantee of that happening. Yeah, for sure. 
So um, not to take too much more of your time, but this, is, this has been great. I really appreciate you. Um, so much insight into this space. It's so valuable, especially like right now because it is such an early time. Just one more question. Where do you see this going in the next like six months? Do you have any sort of vision for um, what's next? I mean, the version two of Ethereum I, hopefully will be out sometime next year and things. Like, where, What are you thinking about right now? Hmm. I am personally excited by a lot of the like second wave of NFT financialization stuff. I think that like better methods of pricing NFTs, lending, borrowing is going to create like a really interesting um, set of both like primitives um, and like derivatives that people can build on top of. So for NFTs in particular, that's what I'm really excited about. For Ethereum in particular, I really want to see, you know, greater adoption and um, like more openness when it comes to all of the exciting scaling solutions that we have now. Like Optimism now supports Uniswap, which is great. Like Arbitrum is, you know, hopefully going live to the public soon. CK Sync now has NFTs. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm excited to see a lot of this. Um, it'd be great to also see like more demand sort of rise up now that we have like more capability. Um, I am not as informed about like ETH2 merge or POS stuff, so I won't speak about that. But uh, like on the horizon, those are the few things that I'm thinking about. Yeah. And out of curiosity, do you think the current market can sustain in terms of value? Because there is so much value placed in all these projects. It, just, it feels like we have to be coming to some precipice um, as a whole, not individually, as like, because the cream rises kind of thing. But do you think sort of the NFT value or maybe even the value of ETH long-term um, will be able to sustain or is it going to maybe fluctuate a bit more? I mean, it's always a roller coaster, but... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, let's see. I think that... I think the midterm... Like the, the like sort of 10K profile picture projects that you see will probably stop selling out as quickly. Um, a lot of these projects are, I think, just like directly pocketing the ETH. So in some sense, like they're not really like inflating, you know, total NFT market cap in a poor way because um, there's like no expectation for them to support like the secondary market. <laughs> so you don't have to like, I guess if you like pretended that like the unit price there was sort of the market cap, then maybe it's like a lot. But um, I think in some cases, it's just like, yeah, it, it was like a service. You know, you like paid for a JPEG, and and now it's uh, like whatever the secondary market does. That you know that can sort of change. Um, now I'm wondering if I think like overall secondary market volume is going to go down. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a tough question. Like, really, who knows? Like everything is in flux every day. The 10,000 uh, profile picture projects. I mean, every day there's a couple. Like it's not like it's something that is uh, just here or there. So yeah, there's just so much happening and the demand keeps going. So it's, it's interesting for sure. So I don't want to take any more of your time. Thank you so much for all of this. Um, where should we send people to check out follow you check out your project and everything yeah so if you want to learn more about the zero x month stuff and then some of the like associated things zero x xyz is good um if you want you know like faster updates there's you know the telegram or the discord which are in the footer of the site and i'm also you know at zero x months on twitter where i post a lot more about like upcoming things that i build I want to thank Owen for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out 0xmons at 0xmons.xyz. That's the number 0xmons.xyz. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T C-O to get started. Built. Your website built for you simply. Finally, if you're enjoying the episode, be sure to check it out on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up and subscribe and hit that little bell. That really helps out and helps us reach more people if you're checking out the show. And also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts. But again, that'll do it. 
I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now. And if you are interested in NFTs, there are a lot more conversations like this coming because this is this is my new the new rabbit hole that I have fallen down. And I have a lot more conversations lined up that I'm really excited to share with you. So definitely subscribe. And if if you're enjoying this, let me know. DM me or reply at reply on Twitter and just at Jeff Saris. Well, that'll do it. And I will see you next week.